This final four edition of the Beards Radio podcast is brought to you by Farbar Fashion Clothing and Designs. Visit far-ebar.com. Beards for Radio. It is Final Four weekend in men's college basketball, and for the second straight season, we have a team from Michigan representing the Big Ten in the Final Four. So with that, uh, welcome back to Beards for Radio. I'm Joe. And I'm Sasha. And Sasha, I think Michigan State is coming off of the best uh, basketball weekend <laughs> I've seen um, since 2009. Um, not just for Duke, but the way they handled a very – talented and um ferocious lsu team uh they won by 17 aaron henry had a career night he had 20 points uh gabe brown had 15 points off the bench uh state really controlled it from the tip and um henry was the first player since grant hill in 1994 to have 20 points eight rebounds and six assists in a sweet 16 game um But obviously, when you take down uh, the mighty Duke, a Duke team that has uh, a generational type of talent in Zion Williamson, um, that's the game that's going to be talked about a lot, you know? Oh, yeah, most definitely. I think – but, like, back to the LSU game, too, man, is that I I, I kind of, you know, joked about it when um, Henry had his standout game, I, and I posted, like, yeah, maybe uh, Izzo might have threatened his life and his family or something like that because, you know, <laughs> it's how the media is taking everything out of uh, out of whack. But but how, but it, it's awesome how that young man responded, you know, all that. You know, there was, a, there was a national story for, you know, a few days about how Izzo and him got at it and the, and the kid handled it very well, and, it sh- and, and he kind of put the doubters to, you know, to bed if you'd say, you know, by the way he played and the way he responded to that. And it was just great. But, um, but yeah, taking down Zion and Duke, dude, come on, that's huge. And I had them beating Duke. You had them upsetting Duke in our, in our last podcast. You said, Hey, I think they're going to win it all, man. And I honestly don't think that any of these teams really do stand in their way. I think, I think Michigan state is, is rolling with so much emotion you know, they're such a tight-knit group. They've gone through a lot together this year. You know, they've lost a lot together this year. They've they've laughed on the court. They've got angry on the court. They've friggin' cried on the court with when when Arns got hurt. So there's a lot of emotion going on uh, in those boys from East Lansing, man. And, and and then you couple that with the big set of brass balls. I mean, it's it's hard. It's hard to get around that you know what i'm saying because you look at michigan state they, they might not be the most talented team you know what i'm saying they, they, they got no you know top 10 top you know picks you know what i'm saying but they play with such ferociousness and tenacity that that at, at points their their willingness to win and their ferociousness to win outdoes the talent on the other team and we saw that they smothered they smothered zion smothered him he didn't know what to do you know what I'm saying he he threw the ball away in, in the la- in the like three three times he got that charge he got that charging call he did not know what to do they look frazzled out there Cam Reddish was even stroking it JJ Barrett was doing his thing but then again you know so was Zion but at the very end man they clapped down 
and wow. And then and then and then to see and then to see uh, uh Cassius run away from Zion. I didn't know he was that fast. <laughs> right. I, didn't, I had no clue. I didn't I had no clue he was that fast. I and I didn't know and I and I didn't know uh McQuay could come down and uh and, and Yemen on uh you know uh, one of the top three picks that are coming out of the uh NCAA this year. Like where the fuck was that all year? You're like, I don't know. But it was it was good to see that because Everybody hates Duke. Yeah. I think everybody in Michigan. I, I think everybody, except for one state in this country, uh, was rooting for Green. So it was a, a hell of a win, man. And uh, I think I think today today is going to be such a good basketball day, man. I'm excited. It's a great day outside. I'm talking with my my my, my favorite co-host, and hey. it's his birthday too. Happy birthday, happy belated birthday! But yeah, man, I want to know what your your whole, you know thoughts are on going into this Texas Tech game. Okay, well, I'll get to Texas Tech in a moment. I just want to say, like, um, this Michigan State team, they're two wins away from being Tom Izzo's best team ever. Like, right now, the 99 team, the 2000 team, those are, like, held in such high esteem. Uh, Even the 2009 team, you want to throw them in there, too. Uh, But I've never seen a team go on this type of run. You know, Tom Izzo has long been called Mr. March, right? You know, he's had that nickname for a while. Well, they lost They right. lost their first game in March. We watched it happen. We watched them lose in the final seconds at Indiana on March 2nd. Since then, they've won nine straight games all in March. And um, they've been b- meaningful games, too. Beat Michigan for a Big Ten regular season title. Won three straight to win the Big Ten tournament title, including another win over Michigan, a win over a ranked Wisconsin team. Um, like I said, LSU, uh, like people talk about the NBA talent on Duke all the time and rightfully so, but LSU has a lot of NBA talent in their own right. So I was very nervous about the Michigan state LSU sweet 16 game Friday night. And just the way Michigan state came out and handled it. Um, like that really set the tone for the rest of the weekend. I think if, if they have like a lackluster performance and get by LSU, I don't think they beat Duke on Sunday. You know what I'm saying? Right, right, right. Yeah. They just they carried it over. But Texas Tech, um, you know, uh, we all we all saw them a little bit uh, in the Sweet 16 against Michigan. I won't talk about that too much because uh, I know that's still a little fresh. But you know, we previewed them. Hey, man, it, it is what it is. It is what it is. Um, we previewed them a bit, and you know, it still remains the same there. A ferocious defense. They got a hell of a player in Jarrett Culver. And um, not only did they shut down Michigan, holding them to 44 points, they shut down Gonzaga to a certain extent. Gonzaga all year had three games with less than 70 points going into their game against Texas Tech. And Texas Tech held them to 69 points. Michigan State has that Texas Tech, or uh, that Gonzaga and Michigan don't have is great point guard, and shooting guard play. I'm talking about Cassius Winston and Matt McQuaid. And if you want to loop Aaron Henry in with that too, go ahead. Because, you know, he's like the small forward guard combo, you know. Right. Um, yeah, Michigan State's guard play is a lot better than Gonzaga's. Gonzaga really got to where they were based on uh, the play of Rory Hachimura and Brandon Clark. And then Michigan, um, I just felt like Charles Matthews wasn't 100%. I felt like Jordan Poole really struggled with consistency. And uh, Simpson, he's just – he's nowhere near the offensive threat that Cassius Winston is. And, you know, I love Xavier Simpson, but uh, Texas Tech held him to 
zero points, one rebound, one assist, and four turnovers. Um, now, the one I'll give him a pass on is the one assist because you need your teammates to make shots in order to get assists, and Michigan just wasn't making shots that game. True that. But like I said, Xavier Simpson uh, isn't nearly the offensive prowess of Cassius Winston. And I think what Michigan State can do now since Xavier Tillman has come on is they can throw bodies at the big guys down low. Tariq Owens, um, you know, he's a long dude. (laughs) You know, I think he's like 6'11 with a 7-foot wingspan. But with Nick Ward coming off the bench and getting healthier – like, that's a viable option should Goins or Tillman pick up an early foul or if they're just not getting the job done. Nick Ward can tire somebody out, and we saw it over the weekend. He's kind of getting back to his old form of um, court running. Like, he's starting to run the court like he was in uh, late January, mid-February before he broke his hand. So right. I think Michigan State, um, they'll, they'll only play like seven or eight players, but – those seven or eight players know exactly what to do uh, to, per- to perfection. Like, I've never seen a, a team of role players know their job so well. And, um, yeah, this team, this team is just so likable, too. Like, you know, they're all playing for each other. They all, um, they all know, like, they're not the best team. Well, they're not – this is a team where the sum is greater than their parts. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Or they're greater than the center yes. parts. I'm, I'm tripping over my words because I'm just clamped for the game. Right, right. No, I, I, I totally get what you're saying, man, because you look at them, you're like, there's – I mean, is there NBA talent there? There could be. Yeah. You know, I'm, you know, you know, I, you know, I can, I can see – I, I can see – Is two years away from being a, a first-round pick, in my opinion. Right. You know, yeah. um, so, like – the way Izzo t- uh, coaches his players, yeah, man, du- dudes that are that are smaller can still strive in the NBA playing these bigger positions. We've seen it with Draymond, you mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? And, like, you you, you see that same kind of style in, in uh, uh, Xavier Tillman, you know what I'm saying? He's he's not that big of a guy, but he's going to – he's he might body the big dude, you know what I'm saying? So, right. you know, that, that, that's, 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 how, that's how Izzo, you know, teaches his kids, you know, and it's great, and you're right, and – you got you can have Nick Ward come off the bench, and if he's you know, and you can tell that his offensive game isn't one hundred percent because his because because of his hand, his shots totally off. You know, I don't think he's getting a little snap on his wrist because his hands hurting him, rightfully so. Uh-huh. But he contributes in other aspects of the game, man. You know, just being on the floor, just having your hands up, just you know, um, changing a shot. Yeah. You know, what I'm saying disrupting yeah, yeah. a shot, being, getting a rebound here, just there. being able to have Tillman. Or going goings uh, have some time on the bench, you know, and not have to play 35, 36 minutes each. Right, and being confident that you know you have Nick Ward coming off the bench and he's going to play his role. And the thing with Nick Nick uh, Nick Ward is that you know it, um, most kids in his, you know his position going through the injuries he's co- going through and and getting his you know time scaled back. A lot of kids might you know take that as like. Like f this, f that dude, and that, that kid has been one hundred percent positive on the bench. He's been right there cheering on his teammates. Yeah. He goes in, he does his role. You know what I'm saying? And, and and that shows a lot about character and you know professionalism in the sport. And you know what? That might that, that a lot of teams in the NBA or the or, or the G League they see stuff like this. You know what I'm yeah. saying? 
they want players like this on their team, people that work their butts off, you know what I'm saying? So, you know, it, it's it's not out of the realm of possibility that Nick Ward can uh, do some good in the NBA too, you know what I'm saying? So I get what you're saying. Yeah. I totally get what you're saying. They have uh, they have talent. It might not look like they have like, whoa, NBA top top 10 talent, you know what I'm saying? Like Texas Tech, this Culver dude, He's, he's, he's gone up in the ranks now. Oh, yeah. I've been seeing him in the mock draft. He's, he's been in the top 10, whatever, whatnot. But you know what, man? You throw some siphon defense at the kid. We, 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 saw some, we saw some siphon defense at Zion. Culver might get shut down, man, because sometimes and most of the time we see it in college basketball that the people that want it more, the people with the bigger, bigger balls, the people with the more emotion, you know, the tighter knit crew – ekes it out man because they want to play for each yeah. other they've gone through so much that's why i think michigan was uh made the final four uh that year they got the car uh, the, the plane crash because what a thing to go through with your dudes right. you know what i'm saying it brings you closer together you don't want to fight for that person more you know what i'm saying you when you go through with stuff with people more man you, you you tend to want to back them up more you tend to want to be you know more protective with them of them you know what i'm saying so it's like Michigan State has gone through this. They've gone through their ups and downs this whole year. Injury, bad injuries, happiness, sadness. I mean, the kids were crying on the court. The kids are elated on the court. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That builds a camaraderie that a lot of people don't understand. That never played sports. That play that that's huge. And we've and we've seen we've seen it happen right now, dude. Michigan State is doing that. They're taking all their emotions, all their energy, all their camaraderie, their balls, and they're putting it in one friggin' basket. And they don't care if their eggs break because it's it's winner go home at this point. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And to that point, I've seen very few college teams roll with the punches like this team has. Um, you know, if you go through one season ending injury to a starter, like so many college teams, you know, young kids or young men, you know, will, will, throw it in and be like, ah, well, this season's a wash because, you know, we don't have this player. We don't have that player. Uh, when Langford went down, Cassius Winston and Matt McQuaid became the players that they are today. Maybe they're not those players if Josh Langford is still there being reliable. I mean, maybe maybe Cassius Winston still becomes as great as, as he is right now. But when Langford was healthy and Winston was playing, you know, Winston was not at the level that he got to in mid middle of January and since Matt McQuaid, uh, you know, he plays the same position as Langford, like the two, three combo. Um, I don't think he would be playing like he is right now. If Langford was still there, Matt McQuaid has always been a great defender, but he's gotten that aggression in him because he knows it's needed. It's needed from him to be aggressive in seeking his shot. I've never seen him seek his shot. Like he has the past couple of months. Um, the game against Minnesota, the Big Ten tournament title game against Michigan, prime examples. Against Duke, like, he was finishing around the rim, not just the dunk, but he had that weird 360 spin where he, like, throws it behind his back. That was that was the right. game, in my opinion. Um, and then Nick Ward, when Nick, Ward's, when Nick Ward broke his hand, it, like, unleashed Xavier Tillman on the world. You know, like, Tillman was playing, he was doing a decent job in what he got, but when he knew he had to step up, to make up for Ward's absence, that's when this team went from being like a, a pretty solid defensive team to a great defensive team. And that's when the pick and roll took over in the, in the motion offense. Because Nick Ward is such a, such a scoring option down low. Like sometimes he wants to score so badly that the ball would go down to him and it would never come out. Now sometimes he would get double teamed and he would find somebody for an open three. But 
uh, quite a few times he would he would like you know force a shot and make it force a shot and miss it but you know occasionally the ball would go down there and not come out but Tillman uh he just brings so much defensively that Ward never did and then again when Aaron's went out um Aaron Henry has since the Bradley game you know since he got chewed out has been playing the best basketball of the season and Gabe Brown has been able to come off the bench and you know hit a three versus Bradley and play some minutes against Minnesota and score 15 against LSU. And um, so it was like every injury, they've almost taken it as like a blessing in disguise. They've taken it as mm-hmm. to rise to where I've seen so many teams just throw it in the bucket. And that's where like, that's where they've got that mental toughness from, I think. Cause you know, they were, they were controlling like the first 10, 13 minutes against Duke in the first half. I think they were up like 16 to nine or something. And then bam, Duke was up 30 to 21. Uh, it, it didn't look good as they'll call the timeout. But from that point on, Michigan State scored the next 13 points before halftime. Like, I got to be honest with you. I was not panicking when Duke was up by, by nine at that point. And as they'll call the timeout, I was worried, but I wasn't panicking because I know this team. I've seen them come back from, 13 and 14 uh, against Michigan in the second half, a good Michigan team. You know, I've seen them just go on these crazy runs against good Maryland or Iowa teams. You know, I've seen them grit out wins on the road at Wisconsin or at Ohio state, you know? Um, So they just, they showed that mental toughness and against Duke, they made, they made the biggest plays when they mattered. (laughs) I can't think of a better story than Kenny Goins, a former walk-on who, Chose to go to Michigan State because he loved it so much as a kid. You know, he could have gone to the MAC. Um, you know, he had a he had a three pointer rejected by Zion, or, you know, a couple minutes before, but that didn't stop him from stepping up, taking a three on a play that wasn't even designed for him. Like, you know, we were talking about big brass balls. You know, if he misses that shot on a a play that was designed for him to pass it, you know. He, he would have gotten the chewing out of his lifetime from from the bench. But, you know, he stepped up, he made it, and over, you know, the generational talent that is Zion Williamson, the uh, – I'd be shocked if he wasn't a number one overall pick, you know. Right, right. Uh, I can't, I can't but, think of a better know, story than that, you know. Yeah, but shooter, shooters shoot, man. So you keep shooting, you know, one's bound to go in, you know. But – but yeah, I think I think McQuaid and and Cash have stepped up big time. You know, me, you know, beginning of the season, I wasn't a, I'm not I wasn't a too big a fan of of Cash, especially right. last year. You know, he didn't he didn't have this in him last year. Like, where did this come from? Right. Like, like is I was saying, like, where did this come from? Where you know, you know, where'd your speed come from all of a sudden? Where you all of a sudden your shots on? You know, where did this come from? Where have you been? But yeah, you can say, is it a blessing this guy, this guy's uh, Langford goes down and these guys have to step up? Well, you know what? Well, that's in life, man. You got to seize the opportunity. You know what I'm saying? And and he sees the opportunity. Tillman sees the opportunity. Goins sees the opportunity. McQuaid sees the opportunity. And by the way, I love McQuaid's. McQuaid has one of the best pump fakes. Oh yeah, he has to have one of the best pump fakes in the, in in the country. And I love his little sidestep. When he gets the guy in the air, a little sidestep, it's just like yeah, it's done. You know, it, it, most likely it's going in. But with Texas Tech, man, and like. This is why I think Texas Tech beat Michigan, man. Their emotions were uh, running, you know, uh, higher than uh, Michigan's. They were more tight knit of a, a more tight knit of a, uh, a group. Did you see what um, the uh, 
Texas Tech coaching or the school did for uh, the Moretti kid. Yeah, yeah, they they brought his family they, from they, overseas. Um, bro, stuff like that, and what a what a boss move yeah. by Texas Tech for doing this because it it gives this Moretti kid something more to play for. And this kid is so emotional seeing his family. What do you think is? What do you think his uh, comrades think? What do you think his teammates think? Right. They they share that emotion with him. You know what I'm saying? They want it. They want to win it now for him even more and for them even more. You know what I'm saying? Like stuff like that, dude. Like especially in the in in the college realm, dude. Like to me, might push a a a non talented team to beat a talented team. Almost every time, dude, because like, like I said, when you go through some uh, personal things with people, you become closer and you become more understanding of that person. And it, and it makes you a better, better teammate. And it makes you more understanding of your teammate and, and what it means on the floor because what you guys have gone through uh, off the floor. And I know people might think like there's no correlation. I do. I do think there's correlation. I think Michigan State is an emotional team with big balls. I think Texas Tech is an emotional team because, you know, what happened with that. I don't know if it could carry over, you know what I'm saying, mm-hmm. if, it, if the lack of lusters died down. But I think that – Michigan State is just riding this freaking wave of emotion, and it's just you know, in it's it's hard to stop at this moment, man. And they're they're so good at controlling what they can control and knowing the difference between what they can control and what they can't control. Uh, you know, you can't control if um, your best shooter and the only uh, five star recruit on your roster is done for the season like that. You can't control if the other team is um, you know shooting lights out. But what you can't control is, like, you know, effort, rebounding for the most part. And, um, you know, sometimes mm-hmm. when your shots drop or, or if your shots aren't dropping, you know, you find a way to win. This team is very good at controlling what they can control. And, um, yeah. And, like, they're smart. Like, I think they knew going into Duke they weren't going to shut down Zion Williamson, you know, unless you're taco fall. You're not, you're not going to hold him to, like, you know, nine points for the whole game. So they didn't. They, they, like, held Zion to what they could, but they didn't, like, let him run free. I've seen Zion so many times this season where, you know, it looked like he was being held in check, but then he got one dunk, two shots to go, hit a three, and all of a sudden he's on, like, his own personal 9-0 run or 13-0 run, you know. Basically, right. they did a very good job of limiting him. So, you know, you look at the stat sheet, you'll say, wow, Zion had a great game. I think he had, like, 24-10 and 10 or something like that. But in reality, like they they really did a good job of limiting him. So, yeah. Um, a, a stat I've always uh, kept in mind is um, every time Izzo had been to the Final Four. So before this season, you know, he'd been to seven Final Fours. Every time he was there, either North Carolina or Duke was also there. This year, uh, you got Tom Izzo, who was in his eighth Final Four. And you got three head coaches who are all coaching in their very first Final Four. Um, right. So it's a weird feeling. It's kind of like Michigan State is the blue blood in this one, and I think that's that's a new one for Tom Izzo because every, like I said, every time they've been there, there's been an Arizona with you know three future NBA Hall of Famers. There's been a North Carolina that's just stacked from top to bottom with NBA talent. There's been a Duke that has. Um, Justice Winslow and Tyus Jones and Jaleel Okafor. 
But this time, like Virginia's Virginia has a lot of talent. Um, Auburn is playing really well, but they're also missing their best player. Texas Tech so strong defensively, and they've got a great scorer in Jarrett Culver. But if you look at like just roster by roster, including Michigan State, there's no team that looks like head and shoulders above the rest. So I think yep. this really is a wide open Final Four, and I think it's it really is Izzo's best chance to get a second one. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it, at this point, it's Michigan State's to lose. You know, you know, you know, you know it's that old saying: it's it's harder it's harder to keep an A than get an A. You know what I'm saying? So you're there, man. You, you know, people. You know, you got uh, Auburn, Virginia, and Texas, man. They're, they're throwing rocks to throne right now because you're right. Michigan State is uh, how you put it, the blue blood in this whole you know Final Four. But it, it, that 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 could that could fuel. You know, Texas, Texas fire, you know what I'm saying? And, you know, that can fuel a lot of fire being the underdog. So anything can happen, in, uh, you know, in March. And anything can happen in this Final Four. But I think Michigan State is just going to just gonna blow through Texas Tech, to be honest yeah. with you. Uh, I hope so. Um, one thing I wanted to bring up is Michigan State and Texas Tech. They actually have quite a few of uh, common opponents with each other. Because Texas Tech has played a few Big Ten teams. Michigan State's played a few Big 12 teams. Uh, so they have a few common opponents in Kansas, Texas, Nebraska, Duke, and Michigan. Uh, against those opponents, Michigan State is 7-1. and one, Texas Tech is 5-2. and two. So those two are like, you know, they're kind of like dead even in that regard. Um, another thing is every team in the Final Four right now played Duke at some point this season. But Michigan State's the only team to have beaten Duke out of the four. Right. Um, so. yeah, I do feel confident because I do think Michigan State, regardless, will have the best player on the floor in Cassius Winston. And um, I, I really think Izzo has made up for a kind of blunder last season. And, um, and, you know, last season was difficult for Izzo because expectations can be a college team's best friend or their worst enemy. Because that team last year with Bridges and Jackson and, you know, Tum Tum and, you know, Langford was still healthy and Ward was 100%. Um, like, if they didn't – if they got to the championship game and lost, it would have been a disappointment. And they they were kind of playing with that pressure from day one. And then you had a lot of off-the-court stuff with, uh, you know, yes, yeah, yeah, outside the lines, kind of like attacking Izzo in the middle of the season and then – like Izzo, I don't think he really does a great job when he has so much. He had so much adequate depth down low that it's like he's still like of that mindset where he's gonna try to get everyone minutes, even if that player doesn't really deserve minutes, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And that that really came back to bite him in the ass last season, especially against Syracuse. I don't got to tell you about Ben Carter playing over Jaron Jackson. Um, but he's he's really been masterful this season. Um, like you know, I was talking about how mentally tough this team is. That that comes from Tom Izzo. Um, I think he's really matured. You know, as much as a guy in his uh, early mid sixties can mature, he's matured a lot from last season as a coach. And you know, his best teams have always run through the point guard. And last season felt like the offense, if it wasn't running through Miles Bridges, had to run through Jaron Jackson, and that's very difficult to facilitate points like that. They might have been better at times defensively last season because, you know, Jackson will block everything around the rim. 
but they're more fluid offensively this season because everything runs through Cassius. And Cassius knows that. And Cassius is more mature than he was last season. And, um, yeah, defensively, I feel like they're all playing very well together. Uh, Dwayne Stevens, he's kind of like the the defensive coordinator of sorts for Tom Izzo. And I think he's he's done a great job of uh, teaching this team effort in the man-to-man. And, um, yeah, like that's that's the biggest thing to me is like – this wasn't supposed to be the team. This was this team was supposed to set up next season when you have um, you know, a healthy Langford and Rocket Watts and more like supposed NBA type talent coming in recruiting wise. This team was supposed mm-hmm. to set up that team, but now it looks like this team has as good a shot, if not a better shot than the other three teams to take it all home. You know, so I'm just so nervous. I'm so ready. You know, I've been ready since Sunday at about. 30 when the game ended <laughs> so uh yeah and you know you know it's uh another thing that's uh kind of you know puts your mind at ease is that i mean like you like you said izzo's been there eight times i mean like these other guys have to be feeling a little nervous. You know what I'm saying? It's a little bit, a bit of butterflies, you know, is it, is it just like, Oh, I've been here before for uh, Izzo and he's, you know, kind of keep a cool head about it. I hope he does, you know, but, um, yeah, I think Michigan's going to win big. I think they're going to face Virginia and it's going to be a, that one's going to be a drag out fight, but you know, one game at a time, I'd say. So that game, I think Michigan state's at eight forty nine tonight. I know Auburn and Virginia is at 609. So, yeah, it's just right now it's just, you know, a countdown. We got like seven hours before we can watch the first game, about nine hours before we can watch Michigan State. So it's, it is tough. So I, I feel you, Joe. It's tough, a but, very anxious day for you, brother. But you love being in the situation. You love being anxious, looking forward to the games. Um, it's a lot better than the position I was in last year. And um, I wanted to ask you about um, – these billboards popping up around Ann Arbor. Um, okay. So the Bank of Ann Arbor, they always have like some kind of funny like slogan on their thing, you know, like um, like Magellan would have loved GPS. We love to help, or something like that, you know, or like right. like Chuck Norris likes to punch things. We like to help. Um, they've had a Bank of Ann Arbor has had some billboards popping up saying things like "Good luck in the Final Four, Spartans," or "This week Ann Arbor is in the is zone," and um. I don't know how you feel about it, but it's kind of gotten some backlash for Michigan fans. And I can't say I'm mad at Michigan fans for being mad because um, if uh, if some bank in Lansing was doing that last year when Michigan was playing, like, I, I definitely would not have been happy about it. Well, to that, I got to say is that buck up then. <laughs> buck up and make it to the Final Four then, you know what I'm saying? Representing Ann Arbor – in 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 uh in the final four, but yeah, well, first of all, man, it, it's a game. Yeah, it's a sport. You know what I'm saying? And Michigan and Michigan State basketball to me is starting to be a rivalry, but it's not like a football rivalry. You get what I'm saying? It's not like, like I can say a football rivalry. I can sit here and right, exactly, and I can sit here as a Michigan fan and tell you that I I football to go undefeated, I could give a crap less about Michigan State football. You know what I'm saying? I'll, t- I'll talk about it 
It's not like I don't give a crap about it. It's not like I don't want them to win, Not just not when they're playing Michigan. But the rival, when Michigan and Michigan State play football, it's a different feel to it. It's more like a hostile feel to it. You know what I'm saying? When I watch Michigan Michigan State play basketball, it's not a hostile feel. You know what I'm saying? It's just like I guess it's I guess it's that picture of Xavier and, and Nick Ward that kind of sums it up. You know what I'm saying? Right. You know the feel to the rivalry. You know what I'm saying? I don't think it's I don't think it's a it, it, it's going to be a drag out. You know you know uh, you know um, bare knuckle brawl every time. You know what I'm saying uh, for basketball, I don't think it's going to be like that. Football, yeah, I can see that. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's, it's more violent of a sport. You know, basketball, I just don't see that. See that. So I personally, it doesn't bug me. It doesn't bug me at all. Maybe because I'm not like a Michigan State hater when it comes to basketball. You know what I'm saying? It's like I, I, I don't, I don't feel like hatred. It's like I didn't go to either school. So like, why am I going to feel hatred for it? You know, I, I like Michigan because I grew up in the same city as Tyrone Wheatley when he was, you know. Uh, big in high school. Uh, I grew up during the Fab Five era, so yeah, I was I was attracted to Michigan. But I also like Magic Johnson's my favorite player of all time. You know what I'm saying? So I can't say that I hate Michigan State. My sister's a, a Michigan State graduate. I'm not gonna say that I hate Michigan State. It doesn't have that same feel as football. If this was a football thing, like hey Michigan, uh, they did this and said hey Michigan State, congratulations, go to the national championship game. I think. It would hurt me a little bit more when it comes to football, but basketball. But basketball, I I don't feel that way about basketball. So I think it's I think it was a it, it's a classy thing to do. To be honest with you, and those and those Michigan fans, just if you don't like it, man, uh, then then let Beeline know to buck up and 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 play some team. Let let us. Make sure his team's playing team basketball, not Jordan Poole doing his doing his uh, a best impersonation of James Harden, not 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 Iggy who's gonna either shoot it or bully it to the rim, do a spin move and get ripped. Xavier t- uh, Xavier Simpson just play under his screens because the guy can't shoot. You know what I'm saying? There's right. this, you know, you know what I'm saying. If if you're mad at if you're mad at that billboard. You're focusing your energy at the wrong person, at the wrong thing. Focus at the actual club. You know, it's a billboard. I feel like they knew what they were doing because uh, that's been all the talk of the town. You know, everybody's talking about Bank of Ann Arbor now, and you know what they say: no pub- no publicity is bad publicity. Publicity. I can't talk. True. Um, True. They might they, they might they might get some more uh, people from Lansing to come bank <laughs> with them now. You never know. And uh, I get what you're saying. Like last year, you know, Michigan. Uh, made a run to the national championship game. And we talked about it on our podcast. Um, unfortunately, those episodes are lost because of SoundCloud being a bunch of douchebags. But, you know, I watched a lot of those games with my friends. And while I wasn't, I was, I definitely wasn't cheering against Michigan because, I, like I said, I was watching with friends. I wasn't like, you know, freaking out, losing my mind every time Michigan made a basket. Like, yeah, you know, but I wasn't upset that they were making that run. Because it's set up like how good the rivalry has been this year. And I think it's great to have both teams in the final four and back-to-back seasons with a good chance to have both teams playing for a title in two straight seasons. Or, you know, one season, you know, one team is playing for it. The next season, the other one is, you know. That's what Beeline and Izzo are talking about. That's what we've seen with Carolina and Duke. That's what we've seen with Louisville and Kentucky. Like one year – one of them is in the championship game. The next year, the other one is. Well, now we can say we have that for the first time, and I think that's special. Right, absolutely. I mean, if you're if you 
you we're put, we're starting to have this rivalry between state and Michigan State and Michigan starting to be on the level of UNC and Duke. Like you're right, that's something special. It's something magical, and a lot of people that aren't college NBA or NBA NCAA college basketball fans and they've been fans for years don't understand that. Those are the assholes that are crying about that billboard. Mm-hmm. Those are those guys that are crying about that billboard because they don't understand NCAA basketball and how awesome this in-state rivalry is. I mean, come on, the Big Ten. This state has put the Big Ten on its back when it's come to this tournament. On its back, dude. Because they, 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 they've carried on further than any other team in the Big Ten. So, you know, people people need to see that for what it is. Not, uh, oh, and Arbor's rooting for uh, the Spartans. Like, why not? Is that good for your state? Is that good for your rivalry? You know, like, like that's some like childish stuff, man. In my opinion, Ken. But I, I have a I have a great story for you though. My, one of my kids. I'm watching the uh, uh, last week's game. You know, Michigan State and Duke. And I'm, you know, I'm yelling at the fucking TV. And my kids come in. And they're like, "Who do you want to win?" I'm like, "The green team." They're like, "Missed the mist." I'm like, "Missed." <laughs> And I looked down, like, oh, M-I-S-T. My kids were calling Michigan State Mist. And I'm like, yeah, Duke's about to get lost in the mist. Have you ever seen that movie? And they're like, no. I'm like, oh, yeah. Michigan State's about to put them in the mist, baby. <laughs> so, so so my kids now call Michigan State Mist. It's kind of funny. <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah. All right, let's start with Captain Marvel, because that was the first one I think uh, we, we knocked off our list. Um, uh. I was more likable of Brie Larson as Captain Marvel. I thought I wasn't going to really like her too much. I don't think she did a, that bad of a job. I think she was kind of likable. She was funny, like, when she was on the, on the ship. She's very, like, eyebrow active, and I like that. I like that in an actor or actress when they use their eyebrows very uh, very well. <laughs> right, I got you, the, the facial expressions. But I like when she was fighting the... Uh, Fighting to crawl in the uh, in the on the ship the first, in the beginning of the movie and the guy screams and she screams back at them so she was you know more likable than I expected out of her because the movies I've seen you know I, I I really didn't like her too much you know right. but um but I felt like and this movie was just a an extended Marvel Agents of Shield episode. That's what it felt like for me. You know, I've I've watched all the Marvel Agents of Shield. Um, it felt like if you take out Daisy Johnson's character, who is Quake, and you plug in Captain Marvel, you you, you couldn't miss a beat in that show. You know what I'm saying? Because I think I I think it had the same feel to it. Um, it w- mean that it wasn't a bad movie. Um, I was really upset the way that Nick Fury lost his eye because that's bullshit. In in the comic books, he, he loses his eye in World War Two, and when they um they do the Ultimate Avengers back again, he loses it in in the Gulf War. So he didn't lose it by a flirk and scratching his eye. It, that part really annoyed me. I think it annoyed a lot of uh, comic book fans as well. Um, but but you know the the fight scenes were cool. You know when she when she flipped, you know and got her power like like really really got her power at the end of the movie where she's like flame flame on almost you know that stuff was cool i just i just had a really it just had a feel to me of like a marvel agents of shield and at that point i feel like 
it's making a billion dollars. Everyone's cr- say, oh, it's breaking Blockbuster. I mean, like, you, you could have took, to me, in my opinion, you could have took, like, a, a, a Black Widow standalone movie and you sandwich it in between Infinity Wars and Endgames, which is two of the biggest Marvel movies yeah. in anticipated Marvel movies. You could have sandwiched a Howard and Duck movie in between there and it would have made billions. People needed to go see this in order to see Endgame. It's a no-brainer. You know what I'm saying? So right. it's gonna do could, well, yeah. Right, you could you could have did a Scarlet Scarlet Witch movie. You know what I'm saying? And 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 shoved that in there, and it would have done just as good. And the the part that really also bugged me about this movie is that the little black girl, the uh, Monica Rambeau, uh-huh. um, she she is the first female incarnation of Captain Marvel. Carol Danvers is the seventh. Okay, you know what I'm saying? So so it, it goes Marvel. Then it goes, and, and Marvel in the comic books was was originally a guy. It wasn't Annette Bening. Uh, and then it goes Monica Rambeau, who was pretty much the first like African American one of the a standalone uh, superheroes. You know, saying so they have like a Miles Morales. That's just a, a, a another a Spider Man. They have the Iron Heart uh, is just a, a another a Iron Man. You know, what I'm saying this was a standalone, standalone, and then they put the seventh incarnation of uh seventh you know remaking of her as first why i felt like it was it's pushing almost borderline pushing an agenda you know what i'm saying so like like i could see the agenda being pushed in the movie although i enjoyed the movie it just really did not do it for me like i think it should have but you know that's just my opinion and look it's it's the next movie in a long line of marvel movies so it's like if it came out before Iron Man, would it be viewed as like an awesome groundbreaking movie? Yeah, possibly. Um, but you know, we we've seen Iron Man for ten years, and then Captain America, and then Thor, and then Hulk, and the Avengers, and uh, you know, it's just gone on and on and on since then. They're not going to keep one upping each other. Like, um, uh, you know, kind of an example is like I went and saw Muse the other night for my birthday. And Muse has been making music since before I was born. I was talking about their last album with my siblings. I was like, you know. That album's decent, but it's it's not that great. Like, there are a few songs on it I really enjoy, but there are a few that I don't like. But then it's like, well, they've been making music for 25 years now. You know, not every album is going to be an absolute banger. Like, so that's fine, you know? And that's kind of how I'm, that's kind of where I'm at with Marvel. Like, not every movie is going to be better than the next because it's, it's just not possible to make a perfect movie uh, aside from Empire Strikes Back. Like, you know, it just doesn't, so like, do I feel like it's it would have been received better like 10, 15 years ago? Probably. But at the same time, you know, it's a fine, it's fine. Like that's that's what I'll use to describe the movie. It's good. I enjoyed it. I watched it. Um But yeah, like you said, like there are some things that like real comic book fans will find issues with, but you can say that about like every movie, you know? Right. Most definitely. But I think I think too is this like I read comic books and get into this comic book world like most everybody does to escape the realities of life. You know what I'm saying? It's like how why I play video games, why people, you know, go to the gym, why people watch movies, while people, you know, you, you know, drink or smoke, they want to escape. That's their escape. That's their vice. Comic books is my vice, man. So don't bring your agenda into my world. You know what I'm saying? That's how I felt, you know, when I watched it so much. It's like, this is my world. Don't, 
don't push your agenda in here, man. Because A, these are made up characters. B, none of them are really going to have superpowers. There's no clear scroll scroll out there. So don't push it on me. Because like like before the, before the movie, they had a they had an Air Force commercial, right? An Air Force commercial, and it's just like women in the Air Force. What's what's going to be your origin story? Carol Danvers was in the Air Force. She was a pilot. You know what I'm saying? It's like don't push your propaganda on me. I don't want that propaganda. That's bullcrap. You know what I'm saying? It's 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 it's, just, it's one of the same reasons why I'm not a big Captain America fan. Because Captain America was originally started to get Americans to be cool with the war. You know what I'm saying? Oh, Captain America's fighting Nazis. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's like propaganda to me. Like, like I, I don't need that. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I don't need that to be shoved in, uh, in my face. You tell me what to like or what this agenda should be. It's like, like I got four daughters. You don't need to push no female agenda on me. I'm going to empower my girls. You know what I'm saying? I don't want my girls to be, you know, supermodels. I want my girls to break glass ceilings and be power women. I don't, I don't, I don't need to watch Captain Marvel to tell me that. Right. You know what I'm saying? So don't, I felt like even though it was, it was a good movie, it was, it was, it was a good movie. Brie Larson surprised me more than she should have. I saw the little nuances and the little, little bit of the agenda pushing (laughs) the, you know, the political underlining about it. I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not new to, I'm not like, like new to it it's it's old me dude and, and don't bring it into my comic book world that's all i want i thought they're worth that's all so subtle um you know hinting at um how the kree referred to this the um what was it the, the scroll yeah yeah like you know they're trying to come into our land and they're terrorists it's like okay that's that's real subtle guys like you know it just kind of felt like, like you said, a, a bit of pushing an agenda, but you know that's that's what they wanted to do, and it's their movie, so. Um, yeah, most definitely. I think it'd be cool. Um, I just thought of this now to see, uh, like an origin story of uh, Nebula and um, Gamora. Gamora. Thank you. I was <laughs> I was drawing a blank, like directed by James Gunn or someone like that. Wouldn't that be cool? Like, I think that would be. Uh, Oh my god! Because then, okay, say say Thanos does get defeated and dies in this next one. How can you bring him back? <laughs> An origin story of him uh, raising Gamora Nebula. That would be that. That would be that'd be that'd be um something new. Like you know, have them like preteens, you know, growing up, and that that'd be. I, I would I I would not not go see that, especially if James Gunn was behind it. I would definitely go see that. Joe. Right. And Nebula, she's like my favorite character. Like Karen Gillan's one of my favorite actors. But like in the MCU, uh, you know, well a lot of a lot of the Guardians are are like my favorites. But Nebula is definitely up there as well. Yeah, you know, I'm with you. I like those. I like those anti. I'm I'm a big anti-hero guy. You know, I like Venom. I like Deadpool. And I feel like Nebula kind of falls in that realm because you know she's bad, but she still loves good at the very end because she's seen all the bullcrap that her that her dad's doing but at the very end she's gonna probably turn her back and do something you know annoying and like go off and do her own thing again like what most anti-heroes do so yeah she's an intriguing character i I think an origin story on both those girls will be something different because you have an origin story for two people and two people that go two separate ways Mm -hmm. and and they're raised by a guy who nurtures one and throws nature at the other 
You know what I'm saying? So it's uh that would be a that would be one hell of a movie and James Gunn would be great. I think I think you need to write in on that one, man. Marvel executives, James Gunn, if you're listening, this is what we want. <laughs> this is what we want. <laughs> yeah, something different. Um also just hit the theaters and I just saw it yesterday. And um it's from one of the most up-and-coming, weird, twisted minds in the biz now. Um, so yesterday I saw Us by Jordan Peele. I almost said Jordan Poole. <laughs> and Sasha, of course, spoiler alerts ahead in uh, this discussion, but um, I just got to say, uh, that was a film. That, like, what the shit did I just watch? Like, it was crazy. <laughs> Yeah, dude. When I watched it, I left. I looked at my wife at that the at the very end when you know the scene where her son's looking at her at the very end, and oh, yeah. you realize that she flipped them years ago and suppressed the memory. Oh my god, dude! That sent chills. I looked at my wife, dude, and I said, "What? What? She was the she was the uh, the tether the whole time. Oh my god, that." fucking that blew my mind i was like i i haven't walked out of a movie theater like so like ah i am fucking satisfied all what i spent here was worth every penny dude like that movie was to me like revolutionary because i read um a rolling stone article with him and he was talking about how he was inspired by this movie from a 1960s episode of the twilight zone the first season i think it's season one episode 21 the mo- the, the the um episode's called mirror image so I, I read that i'm like you know we already had we already had our tickets bought on movie phone i'm like let's watch it before we go yeah. so we sit there we sit there we watch the the 30 minute episode before we went and you see you watch that and then you watch the movie you see where he kind of got his mind from it and just ran with it and you're like wow dude this guy watches 30 minute episode and and just ran with this ran with this crazy story they made it up in his head dude and it is this masterpiece that i just got to see dude it was it, it was really refreshing dude really refreshing what did you take from it yeah refreshing is definitely a word um uh, i would use yeah um <laughs> they just they played it so well like you saw a few instances of um, the character, uh, what Adelaide or Adeline, Addie. Um, yes. Uh, you know where she didn't kill the uh, the tethered daughter when she was like hanging from the tree, and she didn't want the uh, the son to walk backwards into the fire. And um, you know she had like a, a bit of a smile and a laughter when she killed um, her own tether, you know, or her untethered, whichever you know the original, I guess. And, um, right, it just like it explained everything so perfectly. Like you know, none of the tethered people could talk except for her. And that's because she was the original, but her voice was still all, all raspy and everything because she got choked out as a child like that. Right. Um. So that, like explain that, and then yeah, just like the way her son was looking at her, it was like he knew. Like either the the original, her told the son, or like he just you know had that intuition, but you know he knew. And it changes everything because it's like, you know, it's just, it's so, 
it it just flips everything because you you just assume that she's the original and she saw her tethered in the beginning and it just scarred her you know which it would so like that was a viable thing to go off of but then at the end, right. totally flip it and, and you know when the when the uh the original uh you know with the raspy voice is saying like you know you could have brought me with you and it would have been different and if it wasn't for you I, we never would have danced it's like you know you assume that like it was the original who didn't take the tether with her into the real world, but it was the other way around. They flipped it. So like the tethered really are like the more evil kind. They're like, they're like the more evil versions of us. Right. And like, I, and, I, and then I was like, you're talking with my wife, like, well, then why couldn't the raspy one control the tethered? Like, did she break the tether when she did what she did? Or was like, because uh, when the when when the when the tethered chick came out and they put her through the um, you know the 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 girl she wouldn't talk, you know what I'm saying? So they had her go through the psy- psychiatrist and they like suppressed the tethered's emotions and her memories and everything. So that's why she didn't realize all that stuff. So it was just well well played, well played, Jordan Poole, well played because there's explanations to like everything. You know what I'm saying? Like me and my wife try to like d- dive deep. Like, well, then how can that happen? Well. You know, when when she choked the girl out and trade spots with her, maybe that broke the tether. And then when she went to the psychiatrist and everything was dumbed down and, you know, everything was suppressed in her memory and she got to speak again and forgot all about that stuff. Maybe that's why she can be controlled at the very end of the movie. You know what I'm saying? So there was like there's, there, there can be ways to explain, you know, that Jordan Poole world and like everything just to me fits so, so well. Yeah. And it's just still so funny. Like, you know, I'll, 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 I'll go back and like watch some key and peel episodes now, you know, like they have some Halloween themed episodes and it's like, there's such a string connecting comedy and horror, like not just now, but like, I think we've seen it um, since horror movies have been being produced like this. You know, I think we see it in the Halloween movies and, um, you know, even the smaller, like, Shyamalan type of horror movies. Like, I think there's such a weird connection between comedy and horror that it's like, it's kind of no wonder that somebody like Jordan Peele can seamlessly go from one to the other, you know? Because, like, three years ago, he was in uh, the movie with uh, Keegan-Michael Key. You know, they, they wrote the movie Keanu together. I don't Keanu, right? Yeah, that one was hilarious. <laughs> But there were some parts in it that were like a little dark and you're like, oh, shit, like I'm actually a little scared right now. And it's like he takes that and he kind of just like seamlessly goes, you know, like I thought Winston Duke's character making the bad dad jokes, you know, in the first half, you know, like that's a perfect example. And I, th- I thought the performances in the movie were great. Um, Pizza Nyong'o just did a masterful job on both of her roles. It was, it was great. Right, dude, and and, and yeah, the, the he's like, we got a problem here, and then like they scatter. That the part was hilarious, and the part that they scatter, and he's like, oh yeah, fuck this, call the police. He says she's like already dead, you know. But and then like and then like the scene with the with the white family, like that, like even that even like blew it up even more because you're thinking that it's just you know uh, the black uses, you know. what I'm saying now it's like this white family has some uses too. And, like, they came out of nowhere and just got murked. I mean, like, they murdered that family, you know what I'm saying? The twin just, like, came out of the room and killed, you know, the the original twin, you know? 
right, dude. Like that that was like that now that was like We went to the movie thinking it was just that one family that had the us, you know? So you think like if the family can just escape those ones, then they're good, you know? And I think the trailers did a good job of not giving that away at all. Cause you know, then we go to his his friend's summer home and we see them get killed by the us. And it's like, okay, so it's not just them. It's it's everyone. You see the hands across America of all of the the tethers. Oh my god, that was great. That was so great, dude. Like how they brought like the nineties into the like autos. Oh, everything was excellent. I, I I can't say there was one bad thing about that movie. Right. So yeah, it's a great movie. Um I need to watch Get Out again because actually I don't know if I've seen Get Out. Um so I, de- I, de- I definitely need to watch Get Out. Um but yeah Jordan Peel it's like you said it's refreshing and I think it's it's so cool you mentioned that uh, thing about the Twilight Zone and now he's hosting like the new Twilight Zone. Like usually when we see like a, an updated reboot, it's not very good, but we'll see with the with the Twilight Zone because we see a lot of uh, like big names kind of joining episodes for that. Right, right, yeah, for sure. It's gonna be it's gonna be something. The bad thing about it is it, it, it's only playing on CBS All Access, so you got to get the CBS All Access stream. It's just like we were talking about this earlier. Enough. Yeah, I think they'll play a few episodes on YouTube for free to kind of like give you that taste, you know, the appetizer. Right, right. Um, but yeah, definitely a good movie. Um, and it's it's. You know, we love we love superhero and comic book movies, but it's nice to get a break from that because they are kind of getting a little played now. And we see like so many reboots, so many movies being made from books, so many sequels that this was this was unoriginal and unoriginal movie. I mean, it wasn't unoriginal. It was a movie that was original. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, refreshing was definitely a good word for it and scary because, you know, last night I got home. after the movie and I was making some mac and cheese and my light starts flickering and I'm like, Oh shit, I'm going to die. You know, (laughs) there's going to be another Joe doll come out of nowhere and stab you up with some, with some shears. (laughs) I, you know, like, um, all of the tethered's had like their, um, abilities that were similar to the originals, you know, like the dancing, the running, uh, the boy with his tricks, you know, I was like, what would my, what would my tethered's, uh, skill be? (laughs) Um, really bad dad jokes like like Winston Duke's character. Like I thought it was it was great when he was like, well, if, if she looks like you, you know, I could probably kick your ass. So, <laughs> right, and he's like, oh, not funny. Okay, you're really scared. <laughs> but yeah, dude, it was just everything was good about that movie. Um, I can't say enough about that movie. If anybody tells me, I'm like, go see it. I go, Woo. you know, so. Dude, I can't wait for his next one to come out. Something. That, that was what I was going to say next. Like, it's it's good to see um, a director, a new director and writer like Jordan Peele follow up a smash hit like Get Out with this. You know, so many times we see one-hit wonders or someone will make a, a great movie to begin with and then, like, a few duds and then it's, like, a couple, uh, a couple bad movies in between their next, like, great one. But, yeah, it's come out of the gate. Um, not just with these two movies, but with Keanu, which was really funny. Um, yeah, it's, it's great. And I can't say I saw it coming just by watching Key and Peele, even though I love Key and Peele. Like, you just don't see that coming. When I 
when I like saw the previews for Get Out a couple years ago, and it said like from the mind of Jordan Peele, I was like, that Jordan Peele, like, right, right, right. No, I feel you, man. Like, I just, you know, him and uh, also another one, Guillermo del Toro, dude. Guillermo del Toro, you know, he kills the game too, and he always brings you something new and refreshing too. So those two guys, man, like those, I'll always go and see their movies. Didn't, didn't oh, especially, especially now. To Sicario. Was I? Yeah. Okay. He did Cigar. He did the first two Hellboys. Um, he's done Pan's Labyrinth. Um, he's done a whole bunch of stuff, man. That guy is, and everything to me is so original with him. Yeah. So original. You know, no, nothing is made up. Nothing is copied. Nothing is uh, plagiarism mode. So, you know, I, I'll always go see him and Jordan Peele stuff. As long as they keep bringing the, us new, refreshing stuff, man, I got no. I got I got no qualms with what they're doing. Oh, for sure. Um, so I think we got to everything we want to get to. Um, on our next episode, um, you know, we just saw the jo- the trailer for the Joker released, and also Shazam came out. Um, does this mean a new direction for the DC universe, or will these movies kind of like be their own thing? So I'm excited to talk about those two, and um. Hopefully, if Michigan State wins tonight, uh, we can do an episode like you know tomorrow and kind of preview the game then. But oh yeah, yeah, we can we can we can we can throw in a um, you know a, a post a post game, a little mini post game, something. We, but yeah, I'm down to do that. Hopefully, we can cross that bridge if and when we get to it. Yeah, most definitely. And if you and if you want to next next uh, episode, we talk about the joke. We talk about you know the DC world in in general because I think it's. It's uh, with with Ezra Miller stepping down as the Flash because he didn't get his way on his um, his script that he was trying to write. He was trying to write a darker script for Flash. I think it changes a whole lot of stuff for DC, and um, I, I I don't like it. What I have been watching, Joe, I've been ha- I've been watching the DC Universe uh, Batman movies. I just finished Son of Batman. Man, those. I don't, I, I don't know how those do so good and in the DC live actions don't do as well. You know what I'm saying? Because the animated series is, to me, are a better storylines than some of the stuff I'm watching on the big screen. So yeah. I think they might need to go back to these animated uh, people are doing the animations and, and just give and, – and the, the, the heads just need to let go of the puppet strings and let these guys do their thing. Well, we'll, we'll get into it on the next episode, but I feel like maybe that's audience. You know, I feel like – when they're making a live action one, they're going for a broader audience. But when they're making the animated Batman movies, they have like a specific, more dedicated audience in mind. So maybe that plays a role. You know, we were always taught to know your audience. Um, maybe they just need to do a better job of knowing their audiences for the live action movies. Right. And I think I think with the success of the killing joke, you know what I'm saying? With with with, with Uber diehard fans, you know, the success of the killing joke. I think a lot of people, if they saw the Killing Joke and they could relate to it, I think it it has a really good correlation to the Joker movie that's coming out. But yeah, we can talk about that uh, next next episode. So, so uh, until then, this is Beards for Radio. I'm Joe, and I'm Sasha, and go green. <laughs>